Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Brownell Landrum said, It's only when someone really shows their vulnerability to another and is accepted, flaws and all, can he or she really feel loved. This is episode 50 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Bunny Young. The most vulnerable moment in her life was receiving a phone call letting her know her best friend was killed in a car accident. It left her feeling shattered and unable to put into words how she felt. Then a trip to Ecuador would begin the process of helping her heal, but it wouldn't be the last time she would face some struggles in her life. She endured a sexual assault, was left feeling like there was still a difference to be made back in Ecuador, and emotionally she was completely numb. Her career as a therapist brought new challenges to her life as she came home each day feeling as if she was carrying the weight of her patient's pain. Now, as the founder of A Better Place Consulting, she's using her experience as a therapist as well as her life experience to help people. Her programs are bringing people more sanity and support while helping them defeat overwhelm in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Bunny Young. Hey, Bunny, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, you are somebody that uh, I got I get the newsletter from podcastguest.com, and you were one person on the list whose story I thought would fit perfectly for what I'm trying to do here with the Vulnerable Podcast. So thank you for agreeing to come on and, and share your story. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Let's get vulnerable. <laughs> That's something usually I would say, but <laughs> um, it works. Sorry, I stole your thunder. All right, listeners, forget I said that. Try go. <laughs> um, so basically, the first question that I like to ask every guest is, uh, what is your definition of vulnerability? Um, <laughs> it's the fact that uh, I have a sweater top on because I know I'm recording this podcast and there's a chance that, you know, there's going to be a video element of it, but I'm going to be honest and open and vulnerable that I have pajama pants on, um, through this podcast as well. So, um, you know, vulnerability is, is a emotional authenticity. So a willingness to, uh, be present with your emotions, your state of mind, and to to share that uh, in a very intimate way. No, and I and I couldn't agree with with you more. I think that aside from just you know, uh, like you said, uh, having the ability to sort of open up emotionally, and I, I think the the important part that. Um, a lot of us don't realize is how that sort of work has to be done with ourselves first and then putting it out there into the world and sharing our stories is where we impact others, which is like I said, what we're trying to do here today. So uh, I definitely agree with what you're, what you have to say. So if we can sort of go back in time and, and go back as far as you want, everybody's different. Some people have gone back to when they were like five and some people sort of high school time. Uh, when would you say was your first experience of facing some sort of vulnerability in your life? or some sort of struggle? So I used to model, and I think that in that world, um, there's kind of this perception of, of never being good enough, but I can tell you that my first vulnerable moment, my first like um, life shock uh, that I can remember is December 5th of 2000, uh, December 15th of 2004. Um, my best friend was killed in a car crash, and um, I remember getting that phone call and I had to be honest with myself first that life was never going to look the same. And then I had to be able to share with others who couldn't have this window into me on how I was feeling. And it was, um, I was headed off to the college. And so, uh, you know, it, it was this interesting dynamic where <clears throat> I had all these people who didn't really know me. And so I, I kind of had to explain why I just didn't feel like myself anymore. I felt like a, a piece of myself was missing and I had to explain why a piece of myself was missing and I had to figure out how to 
connect with that self and where it presented the most was when I got involved in like a serious relationship. Um, because my, it's like, you can have a really intimate relationship, but something can be missing because that person can see that there's something that you're holding back from them. And, um, I didn't know how to explain how I was feeling. I was, I was young at the time that it happened. And so I didn't really know how to label it, but that event shaped the rest of my life for better or for worse. Um, and right after it happened, the summer after it happened, I canceled this trip that I was supposed to go to Europe and I went down to Ecuador, um, instead keto specifically, and I volunteered in an orphanage. And I remember my, I call her my mother of Ecuador. She's passed away recently, but I went out to um, a soccer game, a football game, and it was like 2 a.m. And in Ecuadorian culture, you don't go to bed until all of your kids are fed. And so she stayed up and I'm not talking about like microwaving a meal at two in the morning. Like this woman cooked for me at two in the morning. And I just remember thinking, like that's the definition for me of humanity um is like just humans being human to each other and it she could tell i was hurting but she didn't know me prior to the accident i didn't speak very i didn't well, clearly i don't speak english very well but i i didn't speak spanish very well um and so i had no way to um tell her how I was feeling, but it was just this moment of shared vulnerability where that act of cooking me dinner at two in the morning and caring that much about me gave me hope for the rest of the world because it was like, we can be open and present and authentic with each other and have these moments of shared vulnerability. And, and she just, I don't really like being touched, but she just hugged me because she could tell I was in pain. And I knew I was in pain. I just didn't know how to solve. It's not something that a, a painkiller could, could take away. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, I'm a retired therapist, so there's all sorts of self-medicating um, tendencies that I could have gone down, but I couldn't even, Brian, I couldn't even label the, the pain that I was feeling. I just, I didn't know what it was. Um, and so I felt very vulnerable being in a country where I didn't speak the language in the amount of pain that I was in around people who didn't know me and that complete and total exposure allowed me to heal because I had no walls to put up. It, there were, there was no point, you know, to put up any walls because I had nothing to lose. You know, it's, what's interesting to me about that whole story is is the fact that you pretty much threw yourself into the most uncomfortable situation you could and that's where you started to see a shift and i constantly i'm I'm of the belief and i constantly hear it on other episodes or from people that i talk to that the only way to sort of grow and the only way to to necessarily you know maybe get to that next stage in life is by putting yourself into uncomfortable situations and it sounds to me like that's pretty much exactly what you did and kudos to you for finding the strength somewhere within you to do that because I don't think that necessarily many people would have maybe gone down that path and also I think it's really interesting that even though you were in a place where like you said you didn't speak the language you didn't really know anybody that like you said that human connection that you had that one evening was able to sort of help you heal that much because again I, I think it's important that uh, you know we realize that there's there's relatability between each other even if you know, like you said, there's things that might make most of us be like, well, how, how is this going to work? You know, again, like with the language and everything, but yet there was that relatability. There maybe was a pain that she had felt previous in her life. And I don't know if, if you were able to find out more, but there may have been a pain that she had felt similar to yours, that that was what made her sort of gravitate towards what you were going through. She, she just, I can tell you that Dora had no walls that, that I could tell. I spent the summer with her. Um, I, I don't exactly remember how many, how long I was down there, but, um, I, 
there was my mother of Ecuador in this tiny little apartment. And then my sister of Ecuador was also in this tiny little apartment. And then I'm six, three, and I was sleeping in a bed that I feel like was made for a cabbage patch doll. Um, <laughs> but because we were complete and total strangers to each other and because we were living, you know, on top of each other and I was down there to volunteer in an orphanage the the only way I can explain it to you is that, there were no walls. And I feel like when I was home, I was trying to put up walls because the last thing I wanted people to ask me was how I was doing. Um, I stopped going to, to high school. Um, you know, I had my own car accident actually shortly after um, my best friend's car accident. And so I stopped going to like everyday classes. And so I really just stopped interacting with people and I built these walls so high to try to protect myself from in my mind feeling any more pain than I was already feeling and in Ecuador I had no walls I mean I just it, I I didn't and um I look at pictures of myself uh, down there and it's like I'm glowing my eyes are bright and I'm surrounded by these kids that you know, have nothing. They, they have, you talk about right now, as we're recording this live, we have this shelter in place order. I don't know what they would do because they don't, they don't have a place to shelter. So they're the, the orphanado or orphanage was like almost like a day center. You couldn't sleep there, but you could come there during the day. There were structured activities. You could take a shower, you could wash your hands, you could get food, but you couldn't sleep there. And so it's like, I had this limited amount of time to pour this love into these kids during the day. And then I go home or I go back to, you know, my uh, apartment, um, Dora's apartment, my mother of Ecuador's apartment. And, um, I'm thinking to myself and, and I walked, I didn't take the bus, but I walked back and forth between the apartment into downtown Quito. And it was a fairly long walk. And I'm thinking there's people that are homeless there's people that have, you know, so much less than I have in the United States and, and not meaning that we came from a really affluent family, but, you know, I didn't have to worry about my meals were coming from where my meals were coming from, but they were just so open and they were just so present and they were so happy and they were so grateful for the fact that I just showed up. Like I couldn't remember another time in my life where other than like with my grandfather, I mean, of course my parents are happy when I show up. Um, but like, other than with my, my grandfather where somebody was just so thrilled to see me. And so why would I build a wall between myself and that? And, and so I spent that time just really connecting with people without walls. Uh, and then when I became a therapist, what I found was most of the people that I was sitting across the, the room from that were sitting on the couch had built up a lot of these walls. And most of my time, 75 to 80% of my time as their therapist was trying to break down the walls to get to that vulnerable conversation to then start to heal. And here I'd put myself like, to your point, I put myself in a position where um, I had all of this pain, but I couldn't explain the pain to them. And so I went down there to do what I could do for them. I, I, there to this day, like my mom was horrified when this is what I decided I was going to go do. Um, and I don't know why I, it was definitely a higher power thing that I found this program and this is what I was going to go do. Um, but when I was there, it was just, really the first time I had experienced having no guard, like letting, when people talk about letting your guard down, they had all of me. I had all of them. And I have friendships today, very few friendships. Um, and I know very few marriages and that's, that's a sad statement to say, but where there are absolutely zero guards. No, and uh, I I can say you know just in relating to that myself I can I've experienced that in the last few years in my own marriage where you know my wife and I a few years uh, probably about two years ago now 
we were going through a little bit of tension and we sort of put it out out, all on the table and and had like a very long conversation put everything out there like exactly how we were feeling and now when we communicate it's a lot easier but i can agree with you in terms of how i see that not happening in other relationships and i think that's a part of that i think is just simply communication i think that we've forgotten how to communicate and that's you know we go on a tangent about that in terms of how technology has affected that and everything but i think one of the biggest issues is is that we don't know how to communicate whether it's verbally non-verbally we just we've forgotten that that simple skill that i think needs to be used the one thing i want to get back to those is the one thing that kept sort of the word that kept popping into my head the whole time you were talking about that experience is perspective um and i think that to me that seems like what you were able to gain a lot of in being in that experience was perspective on your life compared to others and and i i know sort of what you mean because a few i've traveled to cartagena colombia a couple of times on vacation so you know sort of privileged in a sense but the one thing that that vacation has done for me compared to others is bring a ton of perspective because when you're in cartagena you're you're very much in the culture of the country you're not sort of in, in a lot of places you vacation to, you're sort of secluded off to this nice resort area and it, it looks very westernized. So you feel like, you know, it's different, but I'm sort of at home. In Cartagena, you're, you're very much with the people. And, you know, for the first time I traveled there, we used to go from our resort to downtown Cartagena. And on the way there, we'd pass people in mud huts on the side of the road. And you're like, like I'm over here staying in a resort where I've got food, alcohol, everything given to me, a beautiful room. And as I go into town, I, I pass these people that are literally have nothing in comparison. And then even the second time I went, you know, the waitress that was our, you know, was, was at the, the restaurant every morning, she would see us and she'd have like this huge smile on her face. And the only thing I can relate to it is that we were giving her a little tip each day and it was only a dollar or two. But to her, a dollar or two was like a million bucks. And when I came back from that vacation, my perspective on life was completely changed because I was like, I'm thinking about all the things that I sort of have and take for granted. And here's this person who, you know, a dollar to a day is making them feel like they're the most important person in the world. So again, I don't know if if that relates fully, but I kind of get an idea of where you're coming from in terms of gaining that perspective on, you know, how our lives are so different from somebody else's and how it can make us appreciate what we have that much more. their feet and you know when you're little it's just one of those things that like you hear over and over again as an adult you're like damn that's pretty profound um and you know so here i am as a teenager in the middle of south america um and the the program brought together volunteers from all over the world so there i think there were four of us so there was another volunteer from the United States, from Chicago. There was somebody from Switzerland and somebody from Australia. Um, and uh, the, the orphan auto wasn't open every single day. And so one day they were like, hey, we're going to go see this tobacco plantation. You want to go see the tobacco plantation? And I was like, sure. And so like we roll up, we're waiting there in this flatbed truck with just like a wooden flatbed on the back of it rolls up. And there's just like no spot for any of us to sit other than on the back of the truck. And the expectation was we are going to sit on the back of this truck. And so we're driving for hours sitting on the back of this truck. And there's a sign that just says, Bienvenido a Colombia. And remember, my Spanish is not that great. But all of a sudden I turned and looked and was like, are we in Colombia? Like, are we going to Colombia? And my perspective as a U.S. person I had so many bias about being in Colombia and yeah. what that would be like. And we went out to this um, Colombian tobacco factory that's been owned for family generations. We had the best time. And, you know, again, it's, it's about bias and it's about walls and it's about, you know, um, prejudging. And, and we came back and, you know, we just, we had the best time. And I was thinking about it. It's like, two Americans, um, you know, an individual from Switzerland and an Australian. And it sounds like the beginning, go to Colombia. Like, it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Um, (laughs) But we kind of, we just released all of it and it, and it was amazing. It it was awesome. Perspective is really key when 
we're going through something like, while we're recording this live, like what we're going through right now is, you know, I, I can wake up and I can look at the fact that we've lost all of this business in my consulting company. I can focus on the fact that I'm now a homeschooler. Um, my husband's in the military. And so, you know, I, I can, I can focus on a lot of things or what I've chosen to do is I wake up and I make a list of two or three people just to call. And a couple of them work for large corporations. A couple of them are just my friends and family. Um, and I say, hey, you know, I, I just wanted to, to reach out. I just wanted to say, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. And that, um, you know, I'm thinking about you. And it, what evolved from that is we actually made this site that's, that's going live soon called differencemakers.life. And the whole site is about discussions like you and I are having of where we are authentically and it, like in a vulnerable moment where we're all, I can't think of another time where the entire world, like the entire world was just totally knocked on its butt. And there's people from Scotland that I've had conversations from, from, you know, Canada, all over the world. And we're just being able to say like, yeah, this hurts. And it's that self-awareness that comes from that moment of vulnerability where admitting that you're going to put down those walls and kind of open the, that um, window into yourself, into your soul, into your spirit. And then the power for me comes in being able to label, uh, even if it's just the beginning of a labeling, but the perspective is that I still have a house I have two beautiful girls that I can, I can hear right outside um, the door that hopefully are not tackling themselves by now. Um, you know, I, I can see bluebirds and cardinals. And so um, it, it's like what, one of my mentors used to tell me, depending on which way you're facing, you can see the sun or you can see your shadow. And so I really think that, it's a powerful time to kind of harness that perspective. And it's, it, it's always a powerful time to harness that perspective. And people talk about mindfulness and meditation and, and all of this stuff, but it's really about an awareness of where your body's at, where your mind's at, where your emotions at and where your spirit's at, because those are the four parts of the self and vulnerability comes into all four parts of, of those, of that, that self, you know, you can be willing to be vulnerable and put on a um, bathing suit and go out to the beach, right? Like I'm using this as a really stupid vulnerability example <laughs> and that being like body vulnerable and you can be mind vulnerable where you're able to travel to those mental places um, and think about things without bias or contemplate the fact that maybe you have unconscious bias going on. Um, and I'll give a plug for my BFF's book on unconscious biases, um, from Dr. Tiffany Jana. Just, there you go. That, that was specifically for them. Um, and, but it's an amazing book, so I wouldn't plug it if it wasn't an amazing book. <laughs> um, but then there's a spiritual vulnerability. So I grew up, uh, in a... I grew up in a Catholic church. I'll, I'll say it that way. And I'm not knocking the Catholic church for the record. I think the Pope is amazing. Um, <laughs> like he's my favorite. Uh, and I'm not even going to tell the funny stories about the Pope, but um, you know, there's a spiritual vulnerability that there are people that I've gone to church with for years that I don't feel spiritually connected with. I feel like there's spiritual walls there. And so that's another area of spiritual vulnerability. Um, and, you know, then there's an emotional vulnerability. So um, in therapy, when somebody would sit down, you'd be like, hey, how are you doing today, Brian? And you'd say, I'm fine, Bunny. So we have an acronym for what fine stands for, and it's effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> and so that is like the definition of unwilling to show up and be emotionally vulnerable. Um, and, and it's not just unwilling, honestly, it's in, sometimes it's incapable. Um, I know clients that I've worked with 
from a therapeutic perspective and from a professional perspective, where when you log into social media and it says, hey, how are you feeling today? And they just break down in tears because it's like the first time it used to say, the question used to say, what are you doing right now? And then I think they changed it to like, how are you feeling today? And yeah. just that shift in perspective from action to feeling was so powerful. So I know I just went down a, a, a rabbit hole or a <laughs> hole on for, you know, the perspective, but I really would just challenge um, the listeners to, if you haven't already adopted a gratitude challenge, if you can adopt any kind of a gratitude challenge, that's really something that can help um, you begin to be honest and be vulnerable with yourself and also to help with your perspective that quite possibly the suck is not as bad as you think it is in the army. Um, it's probably in most of the military, but in the army, they say embrace the suck um, in the aspect that, you know, you may be doing a hundred pushups, but you're doing it together and you're becoming stronger together and that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to end. And so embrace the suck right now, embrace the suck. We're going through <laughs> it together. Um, there are silver linings in all of this. And, you know, I'm blessed enough to be sitting here having these conversations with you and having this snoring Great Dane that's <laughs> right behind me. Um, but that's so so let's do a perspective exercise real quick, Brian, because you have your puppy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you throw the ball if, if you have a dog, you know, so you throw the ball. I'm going to give you a little bit better view of this sleeping <laughs> pup. Um, so you throw the ball and like the whole world lights up for your puppy. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, he threw the ball. I'm going to go get the ball. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to get the ball. And then like you get the ball back and you put it behind your back and the puppy's like, where'd the ball go? Like the world's over. The ball disappeared. And, you know, so from, from the perspective of a puppy, I think we can learn a lot from the perspective of this dude, yeah. like the world's exhausting right now. He's a service dog. He's responding to, you know, uh, believe it or not, he's working 24 seven, but he's exhausted. And so he's just consciously making time for self care. So, um, <laughs> but when I walk in the door and he hasn't seen me for like 30 seconds, his whole world lights up and it's <laughs> just like, wow, how would it feel to just be totally like have a human? Um, I, I hope that you have a human in your life that loves you half as much as, as my dog loves me. Yeah, no. And I, I for, so I want to, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to touch on there. And I think that we'll definitely have to do another episode because I think you have a lot of uh, information that could be useful for, for my listeners if we really get into it. But uh, obviously today I want to sort of make it about you and your story. So I want to get into more of that, but to touch on a few things that you said, one, I've never looked at vulnerability in the way that you put it and having those sort of four different pillars. And that was very eye opening for me because you know, vulnerability now with the way that it's sort of trending in, in social media and in the world, it's sort of like this whole thing of like, just facing your darkest moments and like, and, and how do you like put them out into the world to like make them relatable and so on, like we talked about earlier on, but for you to sort of break it down into the four different areas of your life was really interesting to me because I never thought about looking at each one separately rather than as, as a whole. So thanks for that first off. Um, and then in terms of like the gratitude practice, couldn't agree more. I've, uh, mine's pretty simple. Every morning I do a journal after I meditate and I write two things that I'm grateful for in my journal each day. Um, but the, the, the difference that gratitude makes, even if it's just two little things is enormous because what I've noticed is after you do that continuously day after day after day, and, and I've been doing it long before I, I started journaling, but it was just more of a mental, like just come up with two things in your head. And those two things would shift my entire day, week, month, because what ends up happening is it's like compounding. It, it, it just makes you feel better about everything and more grateful for everything. 
Uh, and then the last thing that I want to touch on is 100%. I agree with what you have to say about dogs. I've even journaled about it in, in you know, the tough times that we're going through now and saying that I'm so glad to have the dogs that I have because our dogs have tons of personality and they're just, they're, you look at them and you're just like, they do these silly things and it makes you laugh. And they, like you said, they have this like unconditional love for you or like, it doesn't matter what's going on or what's happening. They still want to cuddle. They still want to hang out. And <clears throat> sorry. So I completely agree in terms of like the, if you have somebody in your life that has half as much love for you as your dog does, you're pretty lucky because uh, I definitely agree with the, the, the benefits of that. And I think there's other pets that can provide that, but dogs are definitely one of the, the, the top. So just wanted to sort of round that off. Now, the one thing I want to, to sort of get back to or touch on is, you know, after that trip and everything um, and, and sort of how it helped you heal and everything, was there any sort of new strength that you found in yourself when you came back um, after that trip? Was there something that presented itself in your life from, from that experience? So I came back from the trip and um, I think there was a lot more pain than Ecuador could solve. And I think the pain that I was feeling from the accident came from uh, deeper places than uh, just the loss of my best friend. And I went through um, a sexual assault as well after I got back from the um, Ecuador trip. And so I felt like you know, people talk about hitting rock bottom. I was very, very numb. And when I got back from the Ecuador trip, I was seeing what was happening to Ecuadorians um, who were being displaced because of giant oil companies wanting to take the, the farmland. And so when I enrolled in college, um, I wanted to be an international civil rights lawyer and I ended up learning Spanish for the record, just so the listeners know. Um, you know, and then this sexual assault happened and, um, not being able to really, uh, my family, I think did everything that they could, but I wasn't able again to explain my pain. Um, the circumstances around it were very, uh, it, it just, it hit really, really close to home. And, um, so, you know, the, it, after that, it was kind of like, we didn't know how to talk about it. And it's not that it got swept under the rug, but my family didn't know how to talk about it. Um, cause I was assaulted by somebody that we all knew. Um, and that was, uh, not necessarily a close member of our family, but we knew. So it took me a while to divulge. It took me a while to, um, it was almost re-traumatizing having to admit to members of my family what had happened um, and to be able to like put words to it. And then I'm still dealing with this deep, dark void of um, the loss of my best friend. And I really didn't do a good job of putting back together a support system after that. And so my friends convinced me to take this, um, course called the psychology of death and dying. And so I took this course thinking that it might help me. Um, and that course kind of changed the, the, I guess, direction for, for my life. So it started with Ecuador where I knew there were wrongs in this world and I knew that, um, I could help people with their pain. And then when I took this course, I understood more about the human mind and how we process trauma and sometimes why it's just so incredibly difficult, even though they're inches away from each other to get something from the brain to the mouth. Um, and then I decided I would keep taking psychology courses cause it would make me a better lawyer. And if I understood human behavior and if I could do like, you know, what's now called trial science and analysis and all of that kind of stuff, so um, I took some more psychology courses that I ended up having so many psychology courses that I qualified to double major. And so I can't tell your listeners, honestly, um, that I process that in a very timely manner. Um, I can tell you that my husband and I separated in 2004. 
14. And a lot of that for him was because I still was emotionally unavailable when it came to um, intimacy because I, and, and I saw a therapist, I did what's, what's called CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, I, I did MAT, which is medication assisted therapy. Um, the thing that helped me heal the most was, uh, there's three things, surfing, riding my horse, um, or just horses and, and my dogs. Uh, I have a service dog and, humans are so complex and to be able to explain something anybody who owns a company understands that marketing 101 is to get the consumer to understand what it is what pain that they have that you can solve um well i mean that's one of the most difficult and complex parts of being human is even identifying that we have this pain let alone what the solution to the pain is and so I just continued, I, I mean, I continue today to process um, through that. I, somebody, one of my therapists had discussed post-traumatic stress and it was like this, this wall, this barrier, this idea of, I haven't been in war. I worked with soldiers. I haven't seen anybody die. Um, I haven't seen anybody shot. So how do I have post-traumatic stress? Um, and then also the identification of what's temporary and what's permanent, because in my head, if I have post-traumatic stress, that's something that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. And that's not necessarily the case. And there's more and more arguments for um, having it be post-traumatic stress illness um, versus post-traumatic stress disorder, or just calling it post-traumatic stress. Um, so there, there was a lot of it that I probably, I have no regrets because, um, you know, I'm not saying that my family didn't try, but I was not open to it. It was just like, let's not talk about it and just like pretend that it didn't happen. Um, and then December 15th every year um, continues to be a really, I don't know if I can cuss or not, but a really crappy day for me. Um, and my dad takes me for ice cream. So, so let's go back to that moment. So 2004, December 15th, I come down, I sit halfway down, um, the staircase. We had a two story house and my dad and my mom are more are watching TV. Um, and they knew I was supposed to go out and go meet my, my friend and his girlfriend and a bunch of friends. So we have carpeted steps. They're blue carpeted steps. I, I remember this. And so I sit down and I just have my hands between my knees and I'm looking down at the ground and my dad's like, you know, what's up? Um, and I don't even remember what came out of my mouth, but in some way, shape or form, I communicated the fact that this person who had been so incredibly close to me and like a, a, a big brother and my rock and my everything and the person that I could be vulnerable with because I didn't have to explain how I was feeling. They just got me. And there's so very few people in this world um, that really I had like that. Um, and my dad's one of them. So I, I remember my dad came up on the steps. My dad's like six, five. He's this just gigantic human being. And he came up on the steps and he sits like two steps down from me. And he looks at me and he goes, um, and my dad, like he, he's not an emotional person. He's not probably what textbook vulnerability would look like. He goes, do you want to go get ice cream? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like my whole world just fell apart. And like, you're asking me if I want to go get ice cream. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I want ice cream. I do. I want ice cream right now. Um, and I don't know, uh, I mean, as a therapist, I could tell you or make the argument that I probably should have processed through my feelings and what that moment was, but I can tell you, my dad knows me and he knows that I didn't have the words to process. He knows that I didn't, I, I hadn't yet experienced a, a death or a trauma to that extent and that I didn't know what the heck was going on in my brain. Um, 
And December 15th, every single year, I get a text from my dad and my dad without fail, no matter where, um, even if we're living apart, you know, like even if we're in different parts of the world, um, we go get ice cream. And so that's one of the pieces of, of just putting, just, just putting a label on it. Um, just putting a coping mechanism on it. Um, and you know, it, so as far as that incident and then sexual assault and then, um, processing through that, getting married, moving to China, becoming a stunt woman, coming home, having a baby. Um, I feel like I hit the fast forward button because I didn't want to feel anything. I mean, I'm being honest with all of your listeners. I'm, I, I got married. I had kids. I, you know, or I had a, a daughter, um, before I really started feeling anything, um, or allowing myself to feel anything. And my husband will tell you that I had all these walls and I was not the best human to be around. I would be there and fix anybody else's problems, but I could not tell you how I was feeling. And if I could tell you how I was feeling, it through kind of a screaming match because it was like they all came out at once in explosion because I swept everything under the rug until that moment. And then I just wanted to be alone. Hence why I would go surfing or um, just spend time with my dog or um, just go and ride my horse because I didn't have to explain how I was feeling. They just got it. Um, and I also really struggled being around other people who, uh, like as a therapist, they talk about like the magic, um, of silence. Oh my gosh. That was probably the hardest thing in school. I, I am great at it now, but, um, when you ask somebody a question and, specifically when you're um, having an interview with a trauma survivor and you ask a question and their wheels are turning. So you're back on the stairs with me, December 15, 2004, and their wheels are turning and they're trying to label it. Human instinct is to fill that void with another question. And there's this thing called magic of silence where you just hold that silence. Um, I didn't want to hold that silence because whatever you weren't saying, my brain was filling in with all these other things. And, um, you know, I identified when I was a therapist that it was very hard for me to not take home my work. It was very hard for me to go through the people's worst days of their lives, whether it was with social services or whether it was with individuals who are incarcerated or military or trauma survivors. And I would just come home and, and wear all of that. And so being vulnerable, you have to be aware that if you're going to put yourself out there, that you need to also um, take really, really good care of yourself. I'm not telling you to build walls because I can tell you I live my life with walls and I've lived my life completely open and I'm a completely open book right now. Um, you know, but I retired as a therapist and started working in organizational psychology because it was better for me to help businesses understand um, the awareness of self and the humans that they have and those precious resources than it was to continue down the path of working really, really hard to break down people's walls. And as a therapist, I can't tell you, you know, like, I can't say, let's say Deborah comes into my office and um, Deborah is 12 years old. And I know from a sheet of paper that she's been sexually assaulted. Um, as a therapist, there's schools of thought that are not in agreement on, I can't help her break down those walls by saying, hey, Deborah. Um, when I was 17, I was sexually assaulted. Like, it's not about me. It's about her. Yeah. And so, you know, I, through being able to speak, through being able to work with organizations, I can bring my authentic self. I can get straight to the vulnerability. I can cuss. Um, not to say I didn't cuss as a therapist, but <laughs> I can really, 
label what it is that I'm feeling in that moment. And I hope that that inspires other people to be more self-aware and to be able to label what they are feeling in that moment and to be aware of that. Um, and a friend, the last thing I'll say on, on this particular part of it is that a friend of mine just, I think it was last week, he sent me this, this drawing of this circle that um, has arrows going into it and arrows going out of it. And he labeled the arrows going out of it as things that he's doing right now for his company and for his teams and for his um, family that are arrows that are going out and then he labeled arrows going in that are things that he's doing like in my life surfing riding horses um you know snuggling with my dogs um you know i can't garden but garden may be one of your arrows and that really clear um depiction of the arrows going in and the arrows going out i would strongly encourage you if you're listening to this to make that illustration because one of the things that you'll notice when you start to be willing and able to break down those walls is that you have a lot of arrows that go out over those walls but if you have those walls it's very difficult to get the arrows to come back in and people are trying some people are trying to launch bad arrows and that's what the walls are good for but for the most part in my experience if you surround yourself with the right people, people are trying to get the good arrows in and they're trying to send you the good arrows. And when you say I'm fine, or when you don't say, you know, I'm having a really crappy day, or when you say something that is not what you mean, but you're like, um, when you send a text message that is passive aggressive, you know, there's a meaning there, but you're wrapping it in it in a negative arrow. Ver and you're not going to get your needs met. And so just be mindful of that. And I hope that that helps in, in I know that was a, a long roundabout way to share that I've lived on both sides of this and that this is definitely, I'm not done healing. Um, you know, December 15th is always going to come back. It's always going to be there. Um, you know, it drives me nuts. It used to drive me nuts when my husband didn't make a big deal out of December 15th. He wasn't there that day. Um, you know, he, do, he doesn't understand. Um, but my dad does. My dad was there. And my husband doesn't have to understand. Um, he doesn't have to remember. When I remind him... My computer just wants to be really loud. Um, uh, when I remind him that it's December 15th, you know, he says, my amazing husband will say stuff like, well, let's just go do this today or let's just make it a good day. And um, December 15th is my day to remember how much it hurt. And that's okay. It's all yeah. right that I get that day to remember how much it hurt. No, for sure. And I think that it's like, there's a ton there. Like I said, I think that there's your episode in, in a, if we went into everything like as deep as we could, we could probably break it into like four episodes. So I definitely think that you're somebody that I want to continue to have on just because your perspective, your insights are things that I think, like I said, uh, could help a lot of people with a lot of different things. And to me, like just you know, when you started talking there and you, you sort of went through that whole thing of like the different sort of, um, I guess you, you made a move to a different country. You, you took on like different jobs and stuff like that. One thing I think that a lot of us do, and then you maybe did it in a different way. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you, you were trying to do things to suppress other things, if that makes sense. Like for me, you know, when I had a, a family member pass away a couple of years ago, who was very close to me, I tried to jump into entrepreneurship. I tried to do this. I tried, I tried to do 20 things just to sort of suppress the feelings that I was having and ignore the feelings that I was having about that passing, hoping that they just go away when they don't. And so I, I think what you, from what I got from what you said is you tried to do that for years through many different things. And then when you finally decided, okay, uh, maybe I need to, you know, deal with this in a different way. You, you sort of came to the conclusion that you had to do more work on yourself. And, and for me, I think, again, that's one of the most important things that 
we can we need to sort of all realize is that we we need to look within ourselves we need to work on ourselves and it's not going to be a journey that ends tomorrow or next week but it's something that might be lifelong but yeah I, I, I don't know if that makes sense but that's sort of what I got from that is is to be careful what you're doing to suppress maybe certain things and to more so you know facing them I don't know if that's the right way to put it but you know at least working on them I guess is the best way to put it yeah, I mean, a lot of people would think it it takes a lot of strength to go be a stunt woman and um, like do these uh, what's called an Australian rappel and high falls and all of these high risk activities. At the end of the day, I think one of the most strongest one of the things that takes the most strength is to look inside yourself and be honest. That's a good way to relate the two. That's for sure. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have thought about it that way. But that's a good way to relate the two. Is you, we, the physical activity is what we might have seen as the the hardest thing to do. But yeah, the the actual hard thing to do is look within yourself. And and like I said, I couldn't agree with that more because I've had to do it over the last few years. And for many years, I just ignored it with the job or career that I had and didn't necessarily think well what was going on in here mattered or you know it just was about charging ahead and making sure you know I made more money or whatever got that position and when I've now taken the time I've realized there's a lot that I was holding on to even just in terms of emotions I've become a lot more connected with my emotions than I ever was I used to be a very like just one emotion kind of person <laughs> you know, it was like either I'm happy or, or I'm angry and that's about it there is there's nothing else that was really showing up and now I sort of let everything come whether it's you know, uh, happiness, sadness, gratitude, whatever feeling I'm feeling, I, I, I let it just sort of show in whatever way, you know, it comes up. And, and it's been freeing for me, at least, because maybe like you're saying about walls, maybe I've had them, and I just wasn't aware of it. And I'm starting to break them down. And that's why these things are happening. But uh, again, yeah. tons of, of great points that can come from this. Um, so to, to sort of, I, I guess, round it all off, if we can, in, in, in some way, how would you say everything that sort of happened throughout your life, the career, career transitions, the, the experiences, everything, how would you say it's all helped you get to where you're at right now? Um, I think it's formed and shaped me. You know, when you talk about putting up walls and you talk about um, feelings and just allowing them to come, I, what I think about is like a rock in the middle of a river. And, you know, if I, if I continue to put up walls like a dam, um, eventually life is just going to overflow on top of me and I'm going to end up drowning. But if I just allow the energy, the emotions, the vulnerability to run through me or past me or around me um, and just experience the sensation as it does that, as it goes around me, because I'm this rock in water, um, then slowly over time, it, it shapes me into this human um, that I am today. The, the human that I am today can tell you becoming a mother was one of the most terrifying things. Um, not because kids are scary, although they're, they're horrifying. They're probably one of the most dangerous creatures on the face of this planet. Um, <laughs> Sorry, because... I, I have my first one coming in like a month and a half. So I just couldn't stop laughing when you said that. <laughs> run, run. Um, it, yeah, I was, I'll, I'll tell your listeners, my friend is funny. I was on a trail ride, that, uh, I think it was last week. And my horse, who is like this gigantic, super tall, super big horse. That like freaked him out. And then, you know, he's fine. 10 minutes later, there were kids playing in a yard in one of the neighbor's houses and it freaked him out again. And I was like, look, dude, you have every right to be horribly terrified of those things. They are the most dangerous creatures on the face of this planet. Um, so, but the most terrifying thing for me about coming up, becoming a mom is the things that I chose not to deal with. I now needed to figure out how to, in a healthy way, in a healthy manner, um, cope with so that I could model those coping skills because of what I know didn't work from watching my grandmother, um, who struggled with anxiety and depression until the day that she passed away was that pretending like you weren't feeling the way that you were feeling and ability and pushing the people that you love the most 
next away because they're going to call you on your BS and because you don't want to face what it is that you're feeling that prevents you from having a really authentic relationship and the most incredible connections and the most incredible heart strings tied to each other. And I could tell my kids all day long, you know, I'll love you no matter what. Um, I, you're strong, you're confident, you're beautiful. But if I don't model those things, then they don't feel them. And especially because, um, of the work, the line of work that I'm in, I'm modeling it for my children. I'm modeling it for my clients. I'm modeling it for my family. I'm modeling it for the world. Um, and I, it's just that that's how it's shaped who I am today is I think if I hadn't had kids, it would be easier for me to, to hide. Um, but my kids bring out the, humanity inside me the good the bad the ugly and if i have an ugly day and if i am not the human that i would like to be my kids and i sit down and process that on how we can have a better day and how i can be better i tell my eight-year-old you know you didn't come with a manual and so we're gonna work through this together so if you have any suggestions just let me know and um, my husband laughs because he says it, we have a joke that I run my family kind of like I run my businesses um, where I'm the CEO, but like I'm the dumbest person in the room. The rest of my team needs to come up with the solutions to the problems and then we'll implement them. This is not like a top down. <laughs> and I think that that, willingness to collaborate comes from the willingness to connect which comes from the willingness to be vulnerable the best relationships that i've had have been shared from some of the most painful times in my life um not you know that oh you're super excited about you know horses and i'm super excited about horses um you know horses have helped you heal on a journey and horses helped me heal on a journey um, and so, you know, that's, I, I can think of the person that I shared the arrow story with, um, Dr. Tiffany Jana, who wrote the book that I shared, um, and, you know, my dad, uh, have all shared some really, really incredibly painful times together. Um, and my mom too, and, you know, how we process them together really impacted our relationship. No, I think what's interesting about what you were saying there in terms of uh, asking your kids for advice, uh, the one thing that came to mind is the fact that the, the, the one part of that that might work the best is the fact that kids are sort of, there's a, there's a naiveness to kids, right? Like they, they'll say whatever they want. They'll put it out there. They don't have the necessarily the fear or the, the, all the things that we sort of, uh, I guess, gain, if that's the right way of putting it over, you know, growing up and, and through, you know, going through teenage years and into adulthood and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's an awesome idea. I mean, like I said, I'm only expecting my first in, in about a month and a half, but once she gets a little bit older, maybe that's uh, something for me to consider as well is having those conversations and, and, uh, and, and seeing what sort of advice I can grab from them. Uh, so would you say at this point in your life with, with what you've got going on with your business and, and family and everything, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in your life or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Oh man. I, if, if I passed away in my sleep tonight, started my company, you know, it was really out of this desire to make the world a better place because I didn't want to continue to work for somebody else in somebody else's dreams and make them more successful. I really wanted to impact the world. And there are companies out there that I would be happy to work for, but the core values just didn't match ideally. And um, I only have, you know, I have a heart condition, so I have a limited um, amount of bandwidth to give. And so I, my goal is to go to rest my head on my pillow at night, knowing that I'm made the world a little bit of a better place. And, and we talk about throwing starfish. Um, and, you know, 
to go back to the kid conversation really quickly, one of the interesting things about kids is that they can feel the feelings. They just don't have the words to describe them. So if you can continue to have those conversations or have kids draw their feelings, that's a really powerful tool or even just use like color association for how they're feeling. Um, because remember in school, we're not uh, taught how to express our feelings. And so as a child therapist, I would have really loved to have been out of a job because kids could express their feelings in a way that they weren't scared to be able to express their feelings or, you know, um, being able to say, I'm mad. Um, and what made you mad? And, and so, but have I achieved success and fulfillment? As my place in this world, I am at total and complete peace. I brought two amazing, brilliant children into this world, one of which I'm pretty sure is going to be a supervillain, but that's maybe her purpose. Um, but they're the next generation of humans that are going to continue to make the world a better place and make a difference. And if one person listening to this podcast, listening to this interview, life has been positively impacted, um, then the answer to your question is without a doubt, absolutely. Oh, and that's an awesome answer. And, and I like sort of how you, you sort of put it into the different areas of your life and not just sort of, you know, yes, no, or whatever. You, you sort of explain how it, in different areas you've, you've reached whatever you may define it as. And that's another important part too, is that we all define it differently, right? Um, but you can't just sort of take the overall definition of success and what the world may see it as and be like, well, you know, according to the world, no, I, I think that's the worst thing we can do. So I'm glad that sort of you put it into those different definitions of the different things in your life and, and how they sort of all bring you to this point of, like you said, having absolute success and fulfillment as of where you're at right now and, and being, you know, satisfied with it. But I'm sure there's still more to to go after uh, in the future. But But I'm glad that, you know, you found that at least at this point. Uh, lastly, last question I want to ask, and then I'll just give you an opportunity to sort of, you know, put yourself out there and, and, and let people know where to find you. But the last question I ask every guest is if they were to listen back it's, to this, like I said, to be sorry, I said, this whole thing wasn't putting myself out there, Brian. No. I felt like I just, <laughs> that's not what I mean. All out there for you. No, <laughs> that's not what I mean. But like in terms of just, you know, letting people know where they can find you on social and stuff. But, um, the last question that I have is if people were to listen back to this, like you just mentioned, you put a lot out there, you, you gave a lot of insight and a lot of information, but if you could give our listeners three key lessons, three important lessons from your sort of life, your journey that they could then implement uh, in what they're going through uh, to help them sort of overcome their vulnerabilities and their struggles, what would you say those three lessons would be? So my three lessons that I have learned um, are the gratitude exercise that, that I shared with with you um, to so to begin and, and end your day with at least one or two things that you're grateful for. Um, I have a little sign that I like to to share with people, and it says the voices in my head love me. Um, because it's a therapist joke, obviously, because you know if people hear tell say that they're hearing voices in their head, then you know, obviously they have issues, but we all have voices in our head. And most of the time when somebody says something negative that pisses us off, um, two things are true. One is that something that they've said has triggered some kind of truth and vulnerability and honesty within ourselves. And the second thing is that remember that it's never, no one can ever tell you something that's nastier than what the voice inside your head has already told you. Um, so that would be um, my second piece of advice. And my third piece of advice would be to remember that you have a purpose that only you can fulfill, whether it is saying the same exact message. Um, people will hear it from you different than they're going to hear it from anybody else. And so remember that as long as you wake up and you have this beating heart in your chest, that you have a purpose and that you're here for reason and you're here to make a difference and uh, it doesn't matter if no one else agrees with you or no one else is on team you um, a, a higher power a spirit an energy a life force however you want to put it has you here for a reason and to fulfill that purpose in only the unique way that you can and you can make a difference 
No, solid three. The first one, like I said already earlier in the episode, I couldn't agree with more. Gratitude is a practice that I think we all need to implement in our lives in some shape or form. And I've seen the differences and I know other people around me that have as well. The second one I I wanted to touch on a little bit just because a few months back, I read this book called The Untethered Soul. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's essentially the whole point of the book is about sort of the voices in your head. And, and I think that, like you said, to, to understand that, you know, they're, although they may sometimes drive you nuts, you know, there's a reason for them, I think is, is a key thing to bring up just because I think a lot of us get caught up in them. I've got caught up in like negative self-talk for, for a long period of time and I'm starting to sort of shift from it. But at the same time, you know, through journaling and stuff like that, I realized that a lot of those thoughts are just there to sort of, you know, make you think at, at the end of the day. I mean, I, you know, that sounds pretty simple, but it's there for for a reason. You just have to be careful how much you let them control you. Um, so yeah, so again, solid points. So again, like I said, last thing, just want to, you know, allow you the opportunity to sort of, you know, let everybody know uh, what you're up to, if there's anything that you want to sort of tell people about programs or whatever, and then also where people might be able to find you on social if they want to reach out. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Instagram is the best place to connect at a better place consulting or my personal is at bunny has six legs because I have a service dog. <laughs> um, so at bunny has six legs and then um, a better place consulting.com and bunny um, And, you know, as far as programs that we're working on, I'm doing a lot more interviews um, and podcasts right now on mental wellness because of the state of affairs of, of what the world's going through. So organizations that are looking to have, you know, a, a conversation around mental wellness. Um, and then also there's a free defy toolbox to help with overwhelm on our website. So if you go to the website and click on online courses, there's a free defy um, toolbox there to help if you're feeling overwhelmed and it's a really good place to start. I use it myself. So that's always my favorite thing to throw out there. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And um, like I said, uh, this has been uh, a a very, uh, I I don't know, like, I don't even know if I have the word for it, because like the the, the amount of information that you were able to sort of put into an hour here is incredible to me. And the way that you were able to sort of, you know, take these situations and these stories of your life and and sort of give us, uh, you know, lessons from them. It's exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast, you know, in terms of showing people that your vulnerabilities are what give you the skill to be able to you know, do things in the future and how they all sort of interrelate. And and like I said, you did a great job of that. And, you know, just thank you for, you know, trusting to come on here and share so openly because we don't know each other. Like I said, I met you through a newsletter that I get and I reached out and you were gracious enough to come on here. So again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing so openly. And I look forward to releasing this. And like I said, hopefully having you back on in the future. Yeah, I definitely just want to say thank you for having me. And also for everybody listening, I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for being open with yourself. Awesome. Well, take care and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.